0: All right, so yeah, as Phil said, um, Sam, um, you know, uh, gave a little intro there, uh, but we're going to kind of um, pick up on the previous uh, sermon from two weeks ago. Uh, last week had a nice little intro on what it means to be an exile and a refugee here in a foreign land as followers of Christ, um, as we had our uh, guest speaker uh, fill in for us, and that was really encouraging to hear just the persecutions and trials that Christians have gone through. Um, and how we're to live our lives today in regard, in regards to that identity. Um, and uh, you know, two weeks before, or two weeks ago, uh, John spoke and he talked about encouraging the church, um, how we as a body encourage each other with our lives, with our uh, lives, with our words, with our actions, and our prayers, uh, lifting each other up and building each other up as the body of Christ. Um, so that was really encouraging as well. Um, And the first two sermons before that, I was not here, but I listened to them later in my own time. And uh, so far here, we're almost at the end of Thessalonians. Um, So we're just going to pick it up again here and uh, finish up this book. Um, So I just want to start here. What is the life that pleases God? And you know, you might have a lot of questions there you think about. What does that mean? Did I go back too far? There's a delay. Okay. You know, is it just that we do well in school, work the perfect job, make lots of money, you know, have a family, a house, and, you know, kind of like this American dream, like maybe that will please God if I just do all the right things, have all the right things, live a good life. And, you know, maybe that's just the world's dream in general, really, not just the American dream anymore, but kind of just the world's dream. And, you know, maybe I need to do the right outward things, or I need to, uh, you know, work, uh, I think that was you know, what, what if I do the wrong thing? You know, what should I do, God? Like, should I work a certain job? Should I live in a certain place? Should I serve a certain people? Um, what if I, you know, should I marry the the right person? What if I choose the wrong person? And like, all these questions, like, gosh, this is, it's pretty heavy when you think about it. Like, what is God's will? And, you know, am I even doing the right thing here? And like my next slide here, um, you know, what if I just miss the boat completely? And I'm like, God wanted me to do one thing. And in fact, I did something else and that would be a horrible tragedy. Um, you know, what if I don't even hear God correctly? What if I just ignored him my whole life? Like I had something that I knew I should be doing for him, but I, I didn't do it and for whatever reason because I was focusing on other things. And, you know, and then what if, and what if I die and I go to heaven and what will he say to me? Um, You know, is he going to say that, Hey, I want you to do this. And why don't you do that? And, you know, we have these weird thoughts like, Oh, maybe these are actually kind of um, because of maybe our fatherhood experiences of the type of fathers that maybe we grew up with or that we didn't grow up with. Um, But I want to kind of say here, you know, these are, these sound like crazy thoughts and um, but they're actually, they're kind of normal. And I experience these thoughts very often. And so, Yeah, it must be something that we all struggle with. I know that I'm not different from everyone, but we have all these crazy thoughts. Like, what if I take the wrong turn? What if I go the wrong way? And gosh, if I mess up, I'm going to have to backtrack 10 years, to do this other thing that God wanted me to do. And this whole 10 years was a waste or 20 years or more or whatever, or even just a year or two, you know, now I have to backtrack and fix it all. And um, here's a little slide here, which I getting really heavy here all of a sudden, but I want, I should do an intro of myself a little bit more. Uh, this is me and my wife, Jamie, and just a little interlude here, uh, comedic interlude with my little daughter there, Abby. Um, I can say for sure that I've had a nice little uh, life so far. I've been so blessed to be a part of this church and uh, to be part of our family here. Uh, God's been doing so many things in my life. And, uh, you know, before I move on there, I'm going to kind of, just you know, I'm gonna go back, got back a slide there, and uh, we're just going to rest on this slide. I wish I had a blank one, but I'm gonna share just about kind of where I came from. So you know, I talked about all these crazy thoughts, right, that I've had about um, just like what does it mean to please God? And growing up, I really didn't have a sense of who God was. Um, I didn't really have any idea that He wanted to be pleased or how even I would do that. Um, actually, at a young age, I lost my father, so um, he died. When I was nine, um, and just left me and my younger sister and my mom alone to raise both of us. My sister was four. So she had to raise both of us just as a widow. Um, From then on, you know, I I really didn't have uh, an idea of what it meant to please people. Um, And uh, I think kind of my only conception there as a young boy was to, you know, if I'm going to please someone, I'm going to try to please my dad, even though he's not around anymore. Um, and, you know, if I want to make someone happy, I'm going to try to make him happy. And um, it's kind of weird, though, because as you get older, you realize that um, it it's kind of hard to please someone who's no longer alive um, instead. So, you know, I just kind of put that behind me and tried to bury it and just let it kind of go away into my past. And, you know, instead, I started to pursue my own things and my own um pursuits instead i thought maybe you know i'll just start over so i leave my old life i came from a small town um up in massachusetts and you know like i'm gonna leave go into the world um i'm gonna make money i'm gonna have a family a white picket fence that was just my dream of like just something safe and comfortable and easy um something that would just kind of like that's something that's you know just simple um and so I, I did actually attend church growing up, went to a, a small um, little church in my, in my town, but the church really was more just about God's love and how he, he loves you, kind of just, so I got that kind of warm, fuzzy, like, you know, it's okay, whatever you do, like, God loves you no matter what, and I didn't really have any idea of this idea of sin or um, holiness or sanctification, like we just song, I sang in this uh, song before. Um, I didn't really have a concept of that, and um, I really just thought God was there to do whatever I had chosen to do already, and I wanted to go to school, I wanted to make money, and um, so I worked hard and um, got into a good college, I went to Hopkins uh, in 2006, came here, Um, first time I lived in a city, it was weird looking up outside at night, and the lights were looting the sky with this orange tint, I'm like, why is the sky orange, like it should be black, and I don't see any stars here, and I used to see the stars at night, where I grew up. Um, So that was a little odd. You know, there's sirens and stuff. There's a hospital right down the street, ambulances and stuff. And it was, it was interesting. Uh, But anyways, to fast forward a little bit, you know, I came to college, started going to another ministry, not this one, but uh, for a couple of years, I went to another one. And um, I heard the gospel for the first time. Um, This idea that God loves me, even in my sin, this kind of paradoxical crazy message that I am radically known by him. And yet at the same time, you know, radically loved even despite my sin in this verse here which I don't have on the slide but it says here in Romans 5:8 God shows his love for us and that we while we were still sinners Christ died for us that kind of concept there of that like God I didn't even know who God was and yet he died for me um, that was kind of crazy so knowing this was nice um, you know so I started going through college and it was cool you know, I had like friends in church. This was exciting. Um, you know, instant friends, kind of, you're kind of like in this club. Um, and uh, I was a little awkward, shy person, super nerdy. I didn't fit in anywhere else. So, so church worked out for me. Um, really, it did. Um, and um, I started getting involved in that, even though my intent of coming to school was really just to study, but then started doing more church things. But, you know, outwardly, my life was actually still kind of a mess. Uh, still struggle with a lot of sin um actually my grades just kept going down and i, I was just struggling in school uh, everything kept my grades were slipping i barely graduated actually um and it's funny that i'm standing here um giving a sermon about sanctification because uh you know i feel like i'm not qualified for this but here i am but anyways uh you know i it was just really god's grace that he got me through that period in my life is a very dark time um i was just trying to get through and you know I, th- I thought that God brought me here to Maryland for a reason. And so I, I stuck it out. I kept going. You know, even when I graduated, I actually lost two jobs after graduating. So I had two different little full-time jobs that didn't work out, just performance issues, things like that. Financially, things were getting a little hard. And I was getting to the point where maybe I'll move back home. And, um, for whatever reason, God just wanted me to stay here in Maryland. Um, so I guess some of these things could happen. Um, but you know, I, I eventually, you know, things started working out a little bit. I got a job. i have been in my current um, employer for seven and a half years since 2014 in December. Um, I first held a job successfully did well, got promoted a few times. I still work for the same boss who's sh- showing me a lot of favor and everything. And, you know, um, but you know, really, and all of that, what I've realized that, um, as much as things have kind of gotten a little more comfortable and nice, what I realized the most important thing for me is sanctification, who I am. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more like him? More than the things that I do, more than the things that I say, am I becoming like him? Um, and today I want to focus on, this is not, again, really in my slides directly, but I want to focus on not just the seriousness of sin, but the reality of his grace, of God's grace. If there's anything you take away from today, is that his grace is bigger than your sin. His story about yourself, who you are in his eyes, is bigger and louder than the stories that you tell yourself. This is something we hear a lot today, is what is the story you tell yourself? And some stories you might tell yourself are, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I don't have what it takes. And there might even be some truth in these statements. And the stories we tell ourselves, however, these negative stories in particular, and I share this because this is a struggle that I've gone with, that I've gone through, these stories I tell myself that are not true. But these things, if they're actually bad enough, they can hinder our sanctification and our progress in certain areas of our lives, causing us even to start to believe these stories. And as a result, we get down on ourselves, we escape into sin, bad habits, just our old ways. Um, and that's been made many times. But you know, God is here to tell you that even though maybe these things are kind of true in a very objective way, that you're not good enough, that you have failed in holiness over and over, like we all do, but He loves you just the same. He is not going to leave you or forsake you. He makes simple commandments like this in John 15 10, which is not in my slide again, but He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide. So there's that promise here, the contract that he makes. If you keep your end of the contract, I will keep mine. And that's the God we serve. So I just want to encourage you today. That's instead of running towards sin, you can run towards him. That his son has already paid the price for you. That the weight of condemnation is no longer upon you. Again, like I said before in Romans 5.8, for God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Thus, his love is not dependent on our own works and deeds, but he has already demonstrated this love that we only receive it and walk in it. So this is an amazing truth, you know, just a little intro there, prefacing everything that I'm talking about. We're gonna go into what is this idea of sanctification? You know, I didn't even show you the passage yet, but just follow me here. So it says here in my passage, verse three, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And there's a colon there. So there's things coming afterwards, but, um, this is saying, you know, wow, we're talking about God's will, right? It says your sanctification, like, okay, well, what is that word? Um, it's kind of a heavy word, um, pretty intense, pretty like theological, right? Like sanctification, like someone he's sanctified over there because he reads his Bible three hours a day, you know, every day that's a sanctified Christian. Well, I don't know if it's like that. Um, but I want to go into the generalities of what that is. Um, you know, the Greek word is just to really be, uh, it's called hagiasmos. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I never took Greek, um, but, uh, that's what it says on the the online resources. It means holiness to be set apart for God's use as a vessel for a particular reason that we would be an instrument in God's hands. So not just this concept of not doing things that are not right, but seeing, being set apart for a purpose. That's his purpose. There's also this idea, I don't know if there's something about the translation, but it's kind of an ongoing process because some translations, I guess, will say it's to be made holy. So it suggests a process that's ongoing that doesn't ever end. In fact, um, keeps going um, to be a vessel for him. And I think here, even though the translations might not say this, depending on the theological stance or if it's certain person writing about it, that we would become more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal here in sanctification, that we would look like his son in everything we say and do, even things we think about. And I'm going to get into that stuff. Other kind of concepts here, I kind of went too far here, like this word sanctuary, sanctuary sanctification, sanction. So sanctuary, where are we right now? Sanctuary, right? It's a beautiful sanctuary. Uh, it's cool to be able to speak in this lofty place where you know sounds go up and echo and it's kind of cool but you know this is a dwelling place for his spirit you know think about we're all together experiencing God together this is kind of communal aspect that it is God dwelling in us and working in us but also he's working in us together as we gather today inside his sanctuary suggests the idea that it's his prerogative it's his place that we're where we simply enter into So also this is the idea of like a sanction, you know, I allow something to happen. Do you allow the Holy spirit to work in your life? If I own a stadium and I host a football game, I'm allowing the football game to go on and some bad things could happen. Some good things. It could be really hard. It could be a riot that breaks out. I don't know, but I'm, I'm allowing someone to use my, my stadium. Um, and there's, you never know what's going to happen. Right. So, um, And it's in the same way, you know, these are kind of corny analogies, but like, you know, we should allow the Holy spirit to work in our lives. We, we sanction his presence. And then there's also boundaries. I think of sanctions, you know, like today we have political uh, things going on in the world and countries are imposing sanctions on other countries for doing not good things and things like that, but, um, limitations, there are boundaries. So a sanction might say, you can't do this. I won't do this unless you do this. There's this idea of boundaries and right and wrong. And no, that's not good behavior. We need to sanction. So there's definitely boundaries within this concept of sanctuary. And those are all things I was thinking about that are might or might not be helpful for you. But really, I think the concept is we're vessels. We are vessels for the Lord, formed before him by his hands, like pottery. Formed by the Potter. So I think that's a nice little analogy as well. We're also a sanctuary. Like I said, that's a picture of a church that I took. Um, I took a little trip to France. This is like 10 years ago. Got to go to France with my family just for a week and took a train out to the countryside and you know, this little, their French city and saw these beautiful cathedrals and it's just amazing how like you just walk in and you're just, you're just silenced by, by what you see in there because of the beauty and effort put into it. So there's the idea of a sanctuary. And uh, so we're going to go right into the scripture here. Um, we're going to actually finally read the passage. So it says, finally, then brothers. So before Paul's talking about all these other things, exhortations, to the Thessalonians. Now he's saying, finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Just as you are doing that, you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, and gives his Holy Spirit to you. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands, as we instructed you. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there's a lot there that I want to pray as you start us off right here. Finally give a little prayer, my introduction. Um, let's pray. Let's uh, bow our heads and just ask God that He would speak today. Lord, thank you for just um, bringing me here today to preach uh, before my brothers and sisters, my family, my congregation here. God, I know you love all of us, that you have taught us that you've gently um, shepherded us, God, um, as your sheep in your pasture, Lord, that we are just sheep in your pasture, knowing not what's right and wrong, except the shepherd's voice. So God, would you come? Would you speak to us like the good shepherd comes? Jesus, would you show us, God, that we need a refreshing word from you today, that I need this, that we all need this, that we're all in this together, God, God, that we need your spirit to come transform our lives, teach us your ways, God, so that we don't choose our own ways, but God, that we would be holy and set apart for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we kind of go on here to unpack this a lot. There's so much in sanctification. Um, I wanted to start here. Like, this is such a heavy thing. And, um, you know, the first thing I thought of here is why... Why should we be sanctified? What's the point of this? I think it's because who we are. We are a chosen race, like it says in 1 Peter 2.9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. That's our identity. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I think it's because of who God is that we can say who we are because the Lord says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy in Leviticus eleven forty-five, And that's this concept where God is speaking up on the mountain as he's still giving all of these laws to Moses and Aaron and all the priests up there about things that you shouldn't do with eating and touching and certain sacrifices and specific practices. He sometimes comes back to this and says, be holy because I'm holy. So that's the concept here that drives everything. It's holiness. Holiness. Let's see here. And I want to encourage you today that, you know, I'm saying a lot of things. Saying a lot of things about uh, what it means to be sanctified. But I want to offer a quick encouragement. The very fact, the fact that you are experiencing sanctification right now, that maybe you've been experiencing some really hard things that you're struggling with, that you're going through, that you're being refined in. Um, seeing the fruit of that, that there's actually fruit in your lives right now. Should actually be very encouraging for you. It shows that you're already amazingly loved by God. You belong to Him now. And again, this is not in my slide. Actually, no, it is. Just kidding. Um, God says, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering. Jesus made that offering for us that we would be sanctified. It's a one time declaration. different kind of views of this to say it's like a positional declaration like this is now who you are you've been called out of darkness into his light this is thing that's happened definitely and the fact that you're here and willing to listen to this message maybe suggests that you're already on that road so good you know you're already being sanctified this should be encouraging for us This is not something we need to earn necessarily from our own works. It is a declaration that God does by showing his love to us, sending his son on the cross, but it's also a process. It's a very long process. A very long process. So that's kind of a little intro there. I want to go into kind of what is my main point for today. I'm kind of all over the place now, but my main points are, first of all, When we treasure God above all else in our thoughts, mind, hearts, and attitudes, he's pleased. Everything that goes on in here, in my mind, in my heart, really it's in my mind. My heart just pumps the blood, um, gets me going in the morning. But really, everything that's in here, in our thoughts, our desires, those things should be consecrated, sanctified to him. Those things he cares about so much. And also, there's this idea of externally living our lives before God, Reflecting God's character in what we do, these things also matter very much. Our patterns, um, what we do in the morning, in the evening, um, how we use our time, how we conduct ourselves before our employer, all of these things matter to God as well. Even the way we love each other, that we treat each other with our words and our actions. There's this idea of externally being sanctified in all that we do. And really these two kind of concepts, I think they're inseparable. I think the things that we do, the things that we maybe say or treat people the way we live, things that we don't do that we know we should be doing, you know, kind of reflects what's going on in our minds already. I think often what our actions are really saying is that we already kind of have something in our mind that's driving the things that we do or causing us to avoid the things that we know we should do. and I think they're really inseparable. It's not like, okay, now i got to focus on my inner sanctification. Oh, now i got to go do thing, good things for the Lord and serve and, and love people. And um, okay, just like this isn't just like a task. These aren't just like sets of tasks, but these things is actually a holistic transformation that God is working in your life. So I think they're inseparable. And my last kind of sub point here, fourth point, but really more like a sub point is that it's our experience with God And our relationship with God, which makes this all possible through His Spirit. He's the one that initiates this process. He's the one that drives it. And our love for Him to please Him should, above all else, be coming from a place where we know that we are already very well loved and pleased by the Lord, by God Himself, that we should already experience His pleasure and His joy. And out of that comes a response in our lives of offering our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our lives, our actions, everything to him. So the starting place, place, starting point, starting place is the gospel, what he's done, our relationship that we have from him. That's kind of the glue that ties everything together. So if you forget everything else today, just know that it's God who starts the sanctification process. It's his Holy Spirit that you need to lean on in these moments when it's hard and when you don't want to be sanctified. So the first thing that Paul kind of goes in here, he goes into sexual immorality. And this is a very touchy topic in the church. It's a very hard topic to speak about. I was like, why do I have to give a sermon on sexual immorality and sexual sin? And I realized it's not a sermon on that really, although Paul brings this up, but it's the first thing he brings up after the colon. he says, that you would be sanctified, that you would avoid sexual immorality. And I think there's a a couple of reasons for this. I think it's because sexual sin cuts at the very core of who we are. You know, we're made as sexual beings, um, man and woman. We're made with certain desires. Um, But I think there's a a kind of a broader idea here of self-control. And Paul is talking about sanctification and controlling our own bodies in holiness and honor. And I think sexual immorality is something where we often fail in this regard. This is something that affects the church. Um, outside the church, this is in our world, in our culture, in the things we hear, in media. Just, it's everywhere, right? Um, I don't even have to explain really what that is necessarily. But, um, you know, I think sexual immorality and sexual exploits and um, kind of they're the op- opposite of what God has called us to do um, in living self controlled lives. Often sexual immorality, sexual sin, um, it is the opposite of self-control, where we lose control of our bodies, where we indulge, we even get into addictions. Um, This really is something that um, can totally drag us down. And I think Paul goes there and I want to see here. Oh, come on, (laughs) clicker, there we go. Okay, so (laughs) here we are. who's that? Um, It's a picture I found online of Aphrodite. She's a Greek goddess or um, something like that. She kind of has a, needs a nose job there, kind of has some, it's kind of ironic, you know, they worship these statues of beauty and love and, um, you know, and yet, you know, today they just kind of get wrecked in the wreckage of, I don't know, I don't know if this is actually a reconstruction or, if, um, but you know, it was on the, it was on the internet, but really though, I think this is a warning for the Thessalonians. So Who's, who's the audience here? The Thessalonians, you know, honestly, I don't know much about them. Um, I don't know exactly what exactly they were engaged in at the time, but I do know that the culture of our time, just like, um, you know, the culture before, you know, especially in the before sexual acts and gratification could be used as a means to satisfy one's own pleasure. Um, it could be um, sex for getting something from the deity, from the God, from, you know, worshiping this deity so that we can have uh, crops, good rains, you know, we can experience good things. And this is a form of worship where we need to offer ourselves. And um, in some sense, um, sexual acts with these, um, you know, fantasy goddesses or some sort of concubine within the temple that would be at the temple where they would go to worship, performing all sorts of Things there um, to get the gods to please them, which involved often, you know, involves some sort of prostitution. Um, in the day, there was also a concept of Greek men marrying late and they would have their wife, but then they would have their concubine who was much younger, like a teenager. So that's who they would go to for sexual gratification. But really, in that sense, um, sexual acts serves the purpose of kind of unifying the devotees or the, you know, the, this religious follower, their spirit with that deity's spirit, you know, perhaps to atone for some sin, something they did wrong. So they would go to worship in the temple. Um, Perhaps they're unfair in their economic dealings and they cheated someone at the market and they're like, okay, now I need to appease this God because their wrath is on me, Um, you know, getting favor with the gods. And today, you know, it's kind of weird, you know, we don't necessarily have these same particular uh, worship rituals in our own um, day and age, but we have similar temptations. Um, Today, the struggle might not necessarily be, um, you know, sex before outside of, of marriage, but it could be all in our mind. It could be something that we're struggling with. Um, Today, it's often pornography, masturbation, um, a main escape for many people. Christian, non-Christian, young, Sunday school, um, kid raised in the church, his or her whole life, teenagers, college students, adults, married with one kid, five kids, 10 kids, it, it knows no economic barrier. Sexual temptation knows no cultural, ethnic barrier. It affects all of us. That's kind of the point that we see here today, is that this is something that's serious. It's still there. And it's something that I struggle with. And I wanted to say here today that, you know, you know, looking at a screen, you know, might not seem like it's really hurting your brother or sister. And um, really what it does is, I think, getting deeper here, why Paul mentions this is sexual, um, going away into our own sexual fantasies and desires. It, it trades intimacy with a real person for a drug and for a fake person or a fake image or a concept it hampers our abilities to really truly love others and view others in purity as well. So there's a horizontal aspect as well as well of this um, consequences that we see, not just in our own lives, in devastation, in exhaustion, in shame, but with our brothers and sisters, it affects everything, potentially even jobs, um, everything, everything. It leaves us in a world where things feel nice at first, but ultimately it lets us down, knocks us over in a wave of shame, making us impure before our brothers, wondering if God can even really accept us again. I just kind of want to kind of go here that, you know, um, I'm not saying this is the only thing that Paul's really um, talking about here. and Of course, my little... Clicker here is trying to struggle. So what is it? I mean, there's other things that make our minds impure that cause this total disarray in our lives. Maybe it's not sexual immorality. Maybe you're all good with this and like, okay, Sam, I don't need to hear another thing on this. I've heard sermons on this and seminars and entire conferences and read books and... um, I've been at churches where you say, no, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And like, just like, hey, like, if you do this, then blah, 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 like, you know, like, you should be like ashamed and and you should. But, but that's not where I'm going to go today. (laughs) I'm not going to go there and just say, like, shame on you. But that is a thing that's real that we struggle with. There's also other things that we struggle with. Substance abuse. Alcohol, drugs, pills, abuse, anything in our minds that we get hooked on, that we get obsessed with, that take over our hearts. We love to eat maybe, just sit around, avoid exercise, just blob around, you know, especially with with COVID, it's been hard sometimes to just get outside. Uh, For me, I had to start skateboarding again because I love to skateboard. Um, I had to get outside. And even I was wearing my mask out there. Even I was alone in the middle of the night, skateboarding in the parking lot. I had to get outside because I was going crazy. Maybe that's still you right now. Two years later, you're still stuck in the COVID funk. Um, but these things also get down on us, right? Gaming addictions. People get obsessed with games. Online shopping. Amazon is right there. You know, all the stores closed during COVID, but Amazon did not. Amazon was like, I'm "Gonna have a field day here." Everyone's click 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 sitting at home and that was me i looked at my bills the other day with my jamie my statements and my credit card and you know amazon 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 costco amazon amazon grocery store amazon and i was like oh there's like 10 dollar purchases you know 20 bucks like a book here and there an accessory or something but it adds up <laughs> and i was like um sorry wife um that's not good um But, you know, um, so we had to start uh, asking each other, hey, can I make this purchase? We had to have a covenant now. We have to ask and get permission to make a purchase instead of me just purchasing things and things showing up at the door. I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. I bought it, but um, it's there. Let's find out what I I bought. Um, Gets a lot of hand. Social media. So that's something else where it can just drag us down. We get involved in social media, looking at just what other people are doing in comparison and That is so hard as well. When we see what other people are doing, when we see what jobs other people are getting, when we see where people are going, what progress they're making in their lives, and we're like, I wish that was me. Like, wow, that person's doing everything right. Like, they are living their best life now. Like, that's awesome. Um, Man, and people look so good on the internet. Everyone's so fit, and people only show the good, really. Um, But, you know, it could be obsession with money, where you're obsessed with just making more. I'm obsessed with how my stock is doing or my Bitcoin or whatever it is. Um, I'm not sure if those things are doing great now, but you know, there could be a rebound, but I don't know, but I, uh, I try to follow it, but honestly it is a lot to keep track of, to do research. If you're good at that stuff, let me know. I could always use advice in that area. But if you're obsessed with this and it's all you think about, that might be a problem as well. It might be that you are focusing a little too much on just gains and rates of return and whatever but i'm not saying we should not be good stewards but i'm saying this could be something that occupies every single thought that we have or every 10 minutes when we check how things are doing in the economy it could be that we just lash out in anger or in our mind we're just constantly just angry or upset or we're gossiping or we just talk about other people as a way of avoiding our own problems, because it's just nicer to talk about other people's issues sometimes. Maybe it's our tongue, our language. We just do not have a hold on our language, on the things that we say about people, things that are not kind, things that are judgmental and critical. And I've been there as well. When I'm upset, I will get extraordinarily passive and very, very angry in a way where I start saying all sorts of crazy things and it ends up... um, (laughs) Being very hurtful. And so these are all things that potentially could consume our lives, you know. And, you know, this is just anything here. Those are all the things that I talked about. If you like pictures, there's a picture of all the things that I talked about. Um, But really, here, what is this a sermon about? Does it say just not do these things? No, it's saying there is something that we should be doing as followers of Jesus. It says, If you are raised with Christ in Colossians 3 2, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above. And that's the typo right there. It should say, set your minds on things that are above with a little funny word there. But really, that's true. We should set our minds on things that are above. That's what God wants for us. And, you know, so that's, that, I'm going to kind of move on here, but I want to kind of dwell on this point just a little bit longer that our thoughts, our desires in our mind, things that we truly long for, whether they are, are of God or not, those things occupy our time and actually inform everything that we do. So that's why it's so important to get a hold of our mind and self-control, our minds and our hearts be purified for the Lord. Our drive impact everything we and we say we treat. And I kind of want to go on here a little bit. Kind of, of course, I have this little thing on accountability, which I, I know, probably be mentioned before. All these things I talked about before, I talked about um, sexual immorality and various other ways we can kind of derail our lives. In our church in particular, and this kind of goes along with what um, John spoke about two weeks ago, we are to encourage each other in living lives before God. And accountability is there for you. If there's something that's really taking you down, resources are available. Most importantly, people are available for you here in this church. If there's something that you have been battling that you've been trying to do on your own and a problem you've been trying to solve on your own devices, but it's not working out, I ask you to... Myself. I have a couple of brothers who are really prayer accountable for about a year now. And that's who we're supposed to be as a church, as the body of Christ, to be cheering on our brothers and sisters in this walk of sanctification. So that's just a little interlude there. Resources are also available for you. There's software that will block certain websites that will filter out your time, limit your time on certain apps. Uh, There's amazing sort of intricate technology out there that was not available even 10, 20 years ago that you now have to battle at least certain things like um, that might be tempting on your phone, on your computer, your tablet, whatever. There, there are resources available for you. There are 12-step programs, counseling, amazing counselors out there, people who can help you, professional help. If it's really bad, if you're struggling with an addiction, whatever it is, I don't even need to mention it, but whatever it is, there are people who want to help you and who can even train professionally. And of course, we always have each other to help one another. We, for each other, should be like the first lifeline, you know, kind of like the, uh, the emergency medic who comes to each other's side when we're struggling. We have brothers and sisters, but there's also all sorts of resources. And I encourage you, if you don't know what those are, you don't necessarily have to ask me, but you can ask someone um, in leadership about what those are and how those might help. So we're going to kind of move on here. Um, probably need to. Let's see here. Do, do. Do, 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 do. Ah, external life. Okay. So we want to go into what we do, things that we actually do for the Lord. The way we live externally actually is very important. So why, you know, I want to focus on here, you know, the way that we actually engage each other people others and live out our lives and our responsibilities are also massively important to God. These things actually do matter. It's not just about our thoughts. although Those, those things are crucial. Everything I think comes from our thoughts as a wellspring, whether it's a dirty wellspring or a clean wellspring, our thoughts are a wellspring uh, for our actions. So the things that we do actually matter to God, the way we live before others there's a few things message, uh, taught in this verse here, which Paul says. He says in verse 11 through 12, to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you, that you may walk properly before outsiders, be dependent on no one. So there's this first thing of a quiet life. What is a quiet life? A quiet life, not a a loud life that's trying to get attention, but a quiet life. And I think maybe there's something there where the Thessalonians were a little slacking in this regard, or maybe they were like, Oh, you know, um, um i just you know i became a christian became a follower of jesus now i'm gonna go preach on the streets and uh, i'm not gonna really i'm gonna quit my job and i'm just gonna like depend on other people live radically just live as like a you know like a wandering preacher and um i think it's uh, there's temptation for that and i think paul might be speaking to some of these uh individuals in the church who were thinking like that they could just kind of go do their own thing um and uh you know, I'm not going to work anymore. But he actually, there's a few exhortations here. It says, quiet life, minding her own affairs, working with her hands. And it's funny because I'm reading from the ESV and all my um, verses. But uh, in the NIV, um, it says, not just aspire to lead a quiet life, but to make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Sometimes I like different translations because they really hammer at the, the meaning here. Your ambition... And you would think, oh, I'm going to go be a missionary in in Africa. I'm going to go... uh go out on the poor and go to Baltimore and just feed the hungry and just preach on the street and live amongst the homeless under the bridge there on route 83, uh, right where there's the, you know, there's like a farmer's market there. I'm going to live right there with the, with the people who need it the most. I'm just going to live this radical life. maybe that is you. Maybe you want to do something like that. Maybe God's been really calling and urging on your heart to, to go do something or give radically of your finances or to go somewhere on a missions trip for long-term or, for the rest of your life to go spend your, your lives in a different culture and amongst a certain people group but really here and and you know if that's your ambition awesome but the core ambition for all of us is something actually very counterintuitive lead a quiet life mind your own affairs or your own business as we hear in today's language and work with your hands and i'm like okay that's that's it that's all it's just my ambition is to live quietly and mind your own my own affairs and work with my hands okay um, it's funny how that's, that's it, and um, Paul's saying, I think, this because these things actually help our testimony, things that we do, the things that people see in our work, the way we conduct ourselves before our colleagues, um, our fellow students, whether you're studying for an exam, uh, or you're preparing experiments in a lab, working on finding a cure for some disease, you're looking at your lab mate there and they're seeing you how you're spending time and passion on your job, on your research. That all speaks loudly as a testimony. So I think there's a reason here. And I think it's because it says here in the last part that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there's this concept here of there's a purpose for this. <laughs> like, I, was, I mean, not, well, he just God, but it's Paul saying, you know, uh, yeah, he's just saying, oh yeah, just live quietly, mind your own business, work with your hands, and you'll be good. Um, I think he's saying there's actually a reason is that we would walk properly before outsiders, um, unbelievers, people who perhaps haven't um, heard the gospel or are not ready to receive Jesus or don't even know what it means to be a Christian or think Christians are weird or odd or maybe even have had a bad experience with Christians. Yet you have an opportunity in whatever God, wherever He's placed you, in whatever workplace, whatever school or, um, whatever it is that you're doing, he's given you a chance to live properly before outsiders that we'd be dependent on no one. That's something I'll kind of unpack later. Um, so a quiet life, you know, and actually it's funny. So this whole idea of a quiet life. So first look at that. So actually in the chapter before in Thessalonians, I also found this other verse that says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Okay, so this idea of earning your own living, um, which is interesting, minding your own affairs. Um, I want to go to this idea of uh, working quietly and especially working with your hands at first. What does that mean, working with your hands? I know back in the day, they worked with uh, spindles and weaving and sewing and gardening and farming. Everything was with their hands. They're making embroidery. They're sewing, um, um, selling things in the market. That was the culture of the day. Today, what do we do with our hands? We just type in the computer. um, We work with our hands, right? So um, that's that's how we work with our hands. But I think there's an analogy there. Um, And, uh, you know, I want to kind of go into that first. Uh, I want to kind of bring it to a personal example, just as I was reading this, I was trying to think, well, what does it look like to work with my hands? I don't necessarily do that all the time. Um, I thought about my grandmother. That's me and my grandmother. Um, that's me when I had a little more hair and looked a little more youthful about seven years ago. That's around, I actually that's about nine years ago, 2013. Um, she actually passed away in 2015. Um, she was a great lady of the Lord who loved Jesus. Um, Big example in my life, Uh, she lived till 95, had a good long life, and um, her husband, so my grandfather who I never knew, passed away in like the late 70s, so she was a widow for 35 years, and what did she do in those 35 years? Um, Should have had another picture, but she made these little caps, woven knitted caps or hats, like winter hats for kids to send hats to the church that they would bring these little um, beanies, you know, to kids on missions trips in poor countries and things like that. So they would actually go out to um, missions trips and uh, bring uh, my, my grandmother, her name was Myrtle, so Myrtle's hats. And she became famous for, uh, I mean, not famous, like, you know, famous, famous, but she was famous locally for making these caps for kids. She made hundreds of them. Every time we would go down and visit her in Southern Virginia, um, she would have just yarn everywhere and she was always working on some caps. She's always just knitting, knitting. And she made hundreds of these. And that was how she spent her time. She just worked with her hands. She was always doing something super active and she lived a long life. And um, you know, I'm, she's a good example just of just someone who works with her hands. So that's, that's something that I thought of uh, kind of uh, personally when I thought of her. Um, she was just very productive with her time. Um, and I want to go to this next kind of concept. So we talk about working with her hands, minding your own affairs, living quietly. So what about living quietly? Like, I actually looked at different translations of this, and they all say the same thing. They say living quietly. And I was like, come on, let's find a translation. This gives me something else that more color here. They all say quietly. Um, these are the ones I looked at. And I'm like, ah, that's so, I need, I need more than that. Quiet, quiet. What does it mean to be quiet? Um, I thought of a time that actually was not quiet before my neighbor. Um, a funny little story. So we have a neighbor who likes to go to sleep early at around 9 30 or 10 o'clock. She um is an early sleeper, early riser. For me, I'm a little bit of a night owl. And my wife had been sleeping later and later. And you know, this is what we do, just sleep late, even though we have to get up early and take care of Abby. It's like, uh, why do we do this for ourselves? But still, we're still night owls. Um for better or worse. But, you know, she asked me one day, uh, hey, you took the recycling out uh, kind of late last night, like 11 in the, or at night. And I was like, okay, well, what's wrong? She's like, well, I, I, I go to sleep around 9.30 and 10. I need you to do the recycling um, earlier. Um, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I can, I can do that. Um, have these big recycling bins, right? They're so loud and noisy. They're dragging them down our townhouse, a so little we'll walkway. and It's like, like, it's like rolling, making like thunder. It sounds like thunder. I don't know why, but there's, these things are just so loud. Even I was trying to do it quietly once and it wasn't working. And I even tried sneaking it out late some, one night cause I didn't do the recycling yet. And it was maybe 11 at night, 1130. And I was doing, you know, pulling it really slow. Just like, she won't hear me. And she still texted me and said, Hey, I, you know, she didn't say this, but like, I know what you're doing. Like, um, you're like, Hey, I really need you. I go to sleep early. I wake up at six 30 or whatever. In my mind, I'm like, why do you need eight hours of sleep? Come on. Like I can do six. You can do seven. I'm a tired dad. I don't have time for this. You don't have kids. I'm like all these thoughts, horrible thoughts. I'm like, oh. in my mind, I'm like, I was not being very loving. That goes. This goes to what Paul says before he says concerning brotherly love. You know, you've already been taught by God to love one another, but I was not loving my um, fellow neighbor. Literally, my neighbor. She lives right there. And uh, one time, I even got upset at my wife. I said, "Jamie, what is wrong here? I, I don't understand. This is a ridiculous request she has. Why does she? Need, why can't I just take the recycling out later?" And she basically said, "You know, you're being a jerk. You should stop. Just just do the recycling at nine. Just do it like after dinner. Just do it." And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And so after I had that conversation, I started doing it earlier. And um, eventually I ran to my, my neighbor in the parking lot a little later and I said, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I know I was doing it. I'm doing better now. I'm taking it out earlier around eight o'clock. I can still see the sun when I'm taking out the recycling um, or the compost. We also use the compost or the trash. You know, they're on two different days, too. So I have to be careful on both days. And, um, you know, like, I told her like, I'm sorry. And she said, yeah, I was, you know, I really, you know, thanks. And, um, but you know, after a while I actually enjoy seeing my neighbor now, I'm not uh, ignoring her anymore in the parking lot and passively kind of waiting for her car to drive away until I go outside. Like I'm actually excited to see her and talk to her and she's actually cool to talk to. And I've, I've kind of restored that relationship, but this is an example where I was literally not being quiet, um, in my life. Um, That's one little uh, silly example. There's also the idea of just hard work. You know, what does your work do? When you actually think about work and there's a whole theology of work, there could be sermons and sermons on work, which I'm not going to go into today, but work reflects your testimony. When you are working, you are humbly serving others. You are saying that my work is unto the Lord, not necessarily to please man or to please um, my employer, although that might be part of it, but you are there to please God. And I think other people will start to see the difference when they see how we work. There's this idea of letting our work be a testimony. When we go into work or school, or even just at home with our family, maybe you are in high school and you don't work um, or you're break right now. Um, How do you do the chores? What do you do um, when you're around your family? Do you help with things around the house? Do you be useful? I think all of those speak so loudly others will see the difference in that. It's the Lord you serve and work for. And there's also this idea of Paul's not saying to be constantly busy, that we should just always work and just like always be doing something. Uh, for me, if I do that, I work extra hard. I take it too far. Sometimes I sometimes put myself into the ground and, um, we need to know, that even the Lord Himself rested on the seventh day, He put in the time for six days, creating this earth we live on. On the seventh day, He rested and said, It is good. He rested and just marveled at it, just said, Wow! And He just rested. He didn't need to because He was God, but He rested, He chose to rest. He modeled what rest is, and I think we should really learn from that. We should learn from this God who rested. We should give ourselves times of rest. This is the summer. It should be a time of rest. I know for some of us, summer is crazy. We're traveling. We just want to get as much rest as we can because the school year starts soon, and uh, you know we're coming up on the deadline here, and we need to learn how to rest. But this is important. This is something that God values. And we need to avoid overwork as well. Uh, For me, I've mentioned overwork. This is a silly little example, but not really, because um, I actually have this illness, which is kind of interesting. It's called Meniere's disease. Meniere's disease causes ringing, um, hearing loss, and vertigo, sometimes and dizziness, and usually one of the ears. It's a very rare illness, only affects about 100,000 people in the U.S. or so. But I had this little illness. I was a Yeah, just a little fun thing I was diagnosed with about four years ago, um, after getting married in twenty eighteen. You know, and so one time at work, uh, you know, I know I have this illness. I know stress and anxiety triggers it. Right, even right now, I got this ringing in my ear, and it's like just gotta push through. But you know, really, it's something I have to watch and be careful for. I have to take medication. Uh, But even then it's not perfect. And it comes and goes. The symptoms actually subsided for a year after I had my baby in March, 2021, the symptoms actually went down and I actually was good for like a year and three months. And this actually came back and started to haunt me about three weeks ago, conveniently in time for this sermon. But, you know, really we should be avoiding overwork. There was a time when I worked from 9 a.m. until 4 a.m., The following day, I was trying to get some project done, deadlines, working with everyone. You know, it was a Friday. I just worked 19 hours from a Friday morning to a Saturday late morning and uh, went home, came back. Didn't feel great waking up, felt nauseous, you know, throwing up, vomiting, everything. And I went to the hospital and the ambulance cause Jimmy wasn't there. So I had to call, this is all before having Abby, but I had to call the ambulance and get thrown in an ambulance and uh, taken to the hospital with expensive bills. So I would advise you to not take this concept of work too far. Um, this is an important thing to remember that our lives are also a temple, like I'm talking about in sanctification and holiness, Our lives are to be set apart, consecrated for him. And part of that is taking care of ourselves, that we can be a blessing to others, even just having the energy and the time and the space to do that. So work can also take over our lives, which I probably should have had initially in my slides before, but this is another point that we can kind of take here. And really here, the goal is that we walk properly before outsiders, be dependent on no one. So what is this other phrase here? Kind of the last thing to focus on here, being dependent on no one. You know, does that mean we should never ask for help? That we should never get anyone's help? Is this supporting like this Western American individualism um, that we should just be like, yeah, I, I can do it all on my own. I don't need anyone's help, I'm good. I don't think it's really saying that. I think it's saying that, you know, really, Our our independence, I should say, is that we should be in a place, at least strive to, where we can be free to be a blessing to other people. I think this idea of of independence that Paul talks about, he was a tent maker. He used that profession, that that, um, career that he had to help him go out and do ministry. So I think now, this isn't a financial seminar where I'm saying like, oh, you have to have a certain um, uh, level of independence or you failed or, you know, this is not a prosperity gospel thing where you, you have to like make a certain amount or um, a financial counseling thing where like, yeah, if you're not being faithful in these particular areas of your life, then you're being irresponsible. I don't think that's what I'm getting at. I'm getting at the idea of that. When we feel like we are working hard unto the Lord, I think he blesses that. I think he sees that he'll provide us what we need so that we can be a blessing to other people. And there are times I, I recognize that we will need others' help. We'll, we'll, we'll need people's help, even financially, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on just people helping us out with daily tasks and chores. Um, Whatever it is, we have a busy family life, we're struggling just to get through the day, we need help from other people and it's okay to ask for help. So I'm not saying that we should be independent in all things and never be asking for help or support from other people, but really that, you know, God will, um, I think he will bless uh, when we really serve him properly in that regard. So I'm saying a lot of things, right? About things you should do, what sanctification looks like, all the different ways we can be sanctified and become holy and set apart and pure before the Lord. Maybe you're feeling right now in the summer, you know, I'm just struggling with this, struggling with this process. I am failing really hard. I'm just weary and burnt out. And what if I don't even desire God right now because things have been so crazy and I'm so overwhelmed and stressed? I just don't even have the time for Maybe you're thinking of these things that I am just weary and burnt out. I've been failing because I'm still stuck in this sin and I can't get out. And I'm even asking for help. But even then I still go back to the same old thing, whatever it is. Um, I'm struggling. And yet I'm called here to be sanctified and set apart. And, you know, maybe you're starting to get down on yourself in that regard. But there's a reminder for this. If you are a believer, if you consider yourself part of the family of God, if you have this relationship with Jesus, I would say come back to your first love. Think about the time when you first met him. Ask for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit that you can be renewed and refreshed. Isaiah 55, six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he is near today. He is near always. He's always there for us to call and ask for help in time of need. Ask for power. You'd be filled with the power of the Holy spirit for dependence on him. Cause we know that when we try to do things on our own, it just doesn't work out. We <laughs> really struggle. We, we might have progress and it's good for a few days or weeks, but then we slip back and whatever it is. And, And all of this, we need to be totally dependent on the Lord, just helpless before Him and broken. And that is a good place to be, my friends. I'm not saying that's a sign of weakness. It might be in the sight of our world today, but it is a sign of the fact that you love the Lord if you are just dependent on Him, if you're trusting in Him and everything. So we need dependence on Him. And I would say if you're struggling, just get back into His Word, meditate on it day and night. You know, this is just simple basics. And yet we all need this. I need this. I struggle with just regularly getting into his word. I need that. I need to meditate on it. Just even just for five or 10 minutes before I sleep or when I wake up, I need it. Sometimes I don't. I run to whatever my phone is saying, my email, what do I have to do? I have to take care of things around the house. Um, But really God just wants us to be still sometimes, to be with him. And that's all we need maybe to recharge for the day to refocus ourselves on him. If you don't have his spirit, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've been curious about this and you want to know, I just flick this little thing off here. Um, but if you want to know what it is to follow the Lord and to have a relationship with him, then just ask for that. Ask for holiness. Ask for grace, for his ways. You can start a relationship with Jesus today. If you're a follower of Christ, ask for renewed passion. I would say here, if you... Do not know, God, but you want to. You can say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I am lost apart from you. Father, I know you sent your son to die in my place and rose again to show that you are indeed the son of God. God, would you forgive me of my sins and the ways I've turned against you? I accept your love for me. Graciously, thank you for adopting me into your family that I live with you forever. You can say that prayer. Whenever you need to, whenever you're ready to, whatever that looks like for you. But if you are a follower of Christ, ask for renewed passion, ask for a desire to please him, to think of the things you ought to think of, to do these things more and more. Like Paul says in verse 1 and verse 10, in verse 1, he says, I know you're already walking and pleasing God just as you're doing, but you do so more and more. In verse 10, he says, we urge you to love your brothers in Macedonia. We urge you to love them more and more. So this is idea of a never-ending sanctification process where more and more is the standard for us. And that can only be done through his spirit, not through our own strength, not just for doing more things, but more and more trust in him, more and more dependence on him, more and more desperation for him. God sees even the obstacles you're going through right now in this process. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the pain. Even as you're trying to follow God so hard, you're trying to be sanctified. You're trying to have victory in your lives. He knows that there is sin and temptation that is strong. For Jesus himself walked this life before you. And in fact, God came and sent his son, emptying himself on the cross and becoming man. In Philippians 2, 6 through 11, this is God who, though he was in the form of God, Jesus, who was in the form of God, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. By being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the gospel. That's who our Lord is. So we ask today, what should I do? What should I do in my life? Am I doing the right things? Am I going the right direction? And the answer is that God wants you to be more like him, more like his son. That's his will for your life, that you become more like him. I'm going to call the worship team up. Um, continue with our songs of thanksgiving and praise. And um, I'm just going to quickly pray for us as we, as we end here. God, thank you so much for bringing us here today into your family, into your spiritual family, adopted as sons and daughters. God, I know you've called us to a great and lofty task that we cannot accomplish on our own. And yet, God, you give us the power of the Holy Spirit. You give us the very presence of Christ in ourselves, in our hearts and minds, breathed into us. God, when you ascended into heaven and you gave us the breath of life, that we would be received and adopted into your family the moment we say yes, Lord, that we choose to trust you. God, thank you today for blessing this time. Thank you for your spirit, God, that it is alive in us. As we walk out of this place, we know it is still alive in our thoughts, our minds, our actions, our attitudes, and everything we are. God, would our lives be a song of worship to you, Jesus May we trust you, God, with everything that we have. What our lives reflect who you are. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.